part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. During this Advent season, we have been talking about how do we wait well when we know that uh, just in our humanity, waiting, patience is not our long suit. Nobody says, you know, I'm just a master of patience. This is not uh, a claim that we hear from people. And so we've been trying to talk about how do we wait well because we are living in a time right now in between the two comings of Christ. Christ has come the first time, born as a baby, laid in a manger, And we have this promise and prophecy that he will come again. And so in this tension of the the times in between the two comings of Christ, how do we wait and wait well? But waiting is not just in our spiritual life. We find out that we're waiting on a lot of things in life. And so we we need to take both the spiritual values of waiting well and we can apply them to a very, very practical life. And this morning I want to show you a a verse that is probably one of my favorites in the New Testament. It's one that uh, maybe you do relate to the Christmas story. Maybe you don't make that uh, relationship. I I think Paul very much, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit when he wrote this, uh, was talking in context at at that time very much about just the miracle that God had done of bringing about Christ and uh, to, to, to be that sufficient Savior for us. And so this morning, as we look into it, I want to go back just a couple weeks because we did have, uh, we kind of skipped a little bit last week and remind ourselves of what we've seen so far. We've seen actually from the scripture two ways that we can wait well. The first one, as we looked at Job, you know, God did not instantly cure all the difficulties in Job's life, but what God showed Job is, is his person, that he was God, that he was creator, that he was sovereign. And so our first kind of clue to waiting well is just to focus on the person of God, who he is, the proclamation that we see through his word as he's revealed himself, that he is a holy God, that he is creator God, that he is sovereign God, he is a loving God, he is a God of wrath, he is a God very much of justice. And yet, When we focus on waiting and wondering, because that's usually what we do when we're waiting, was we're wondering. We're wondering how this is going to be fixed and when it's going to be fixed. And and we, in this wondering, God says, okay, Job, here's what I want you to know about me, (laughs) that I'm sufficient. So the first answer of waiting well is the person of God. Just trust the person of God. The second one, as we began to look at Simeon, was the promises of God. Remember, Simeon was that one that God had promised through the Spirit, said, okay, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And so there he would go, and he would be in the in the temple every day, and he would go, and, and I wonder if he thought each and every day, is today the day? But he knew that he had been promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And then that day comes when Mary and Joseph bring in at that time, and, uh, and he, he basically says Bobby's words, okay, now I can die in peace. So how do we wait well? We, we focus on trust, the, the person of God, who God is, and then the promises of God. In the Bible, I, I should have asked you that day, how many promises do you know? You know, do you focus on the promises of God on a regular basis? Because that's really where we would get 
the ability to wait well when we would just say, okay, here's all the things that God has said. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we can just start going down those promises and really put that as a part of of understanding that God is going to work out things well in his way, in his time. Well, this morning we come to a third part of this. And that is that when we know the person of God, that is, we just know his character, that he is holy God, he is for us, he is not against us, and that he's made promises to us, then we can trust the purposes of God. Do you think that God has a purpose for every one of our lives? Yeah. We can use that and kind of understand it in a very generic way. The whole question comes out, how defined does that get? I believe that God is a very defined God. And so I don't think that his purpose for me in life is just this one generic kind of, you know, statement. I believe that it's very, very specific and it's very detailed and it's very, very personal. That God has purposes for my life. In the most generic sense, it is kind of, it could be, you know, summed up. That God has purposed my life to bring him glory. God is all about his own glory. So you and I were created, we were given life to bring glory to God. But I believe that it goes into much more detail. That's kind of the the broad thing, but then it gets into the details. I believe that as God would show me that this is to be my wife, that that can bring him glory. And that as we were, as he brought children to our life, that that can bring him glory. And now that we have grandchildren, that that can bring him glory. That, That I'm standing here and that I get to preach the word of God this Sunday morning at Cornerstone Church, that can bring him glory. He's a purposeful God. But how many of you are at a place right now that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you could have predicted that you would be right here living the life that you are living right now? Nobody would have had an inkling of that, perhaps. But God did. So how do we wait well? We trust the character of God. And a God who has personalized himself to us in promises And he has a purpose for our lives. Now, that is not centered on us. Believe me, that purpose for our lives is centered on him. Okay, so let's not make it all about humanity and make us the champion here. God is the one deserving the glory. But he has very specific purposes for your life. But it's all so that we can redirect our lives and bring him glory. Now, those are the three things. I promise you that if we did those and did those well of just trusting in those things, we would be able to wait much more well, if you want to say, than what we do. That it wouldn't be quite of a challenge. And yet I think that over the last three or four weeks during this Advent season that we have all admitted that we just do not wait well. So this morning we're going to get into uh, Galatians chapter 4, look at a couple different uh, verses here, and uh, kind of apply this to the Christmas story. One of the things that we don't really like about waiting is, uh, how many of y'all are like me, that when you have to wait, it feels like wasted time? Yeah. And, and how many of you are like really scheduled people? You know, that you kind of like schedules and you kind of like order and you kind of like, okay, if there's not, I mean, Carly, there's been days that she'll go, how was your day? And I said, well, it's kind of just seemed like a wasted day. Well, why? Well, I didn't really do anything. And if I'm not doing something, if there's not like checks, boxes to be clicked off, I feel like it's a wasted day. And, and she's going, 
do you think maybe God just wanted you to have a day where there wasn't all about getting things done? And I see several of you that I just know some of your personalities, and you are such box clickers. I mean, you really are that I'm going, yeah, you're like me, that if if you don't feel like you're getting something accomplished, if you're waiting, that it's wasted time. Biblically, theologically, I think it would be very, very safe to say today, because he's a sovereign God, that there is not such thing as far as in God's plans and his purposes for us, such thing as wasted time. It seems that way to us because we don't see the final outcome. But from God's vantage point, I don't believe that there is such thing as wasted time when we are trying to trust the person of God and the promises of God for the purposes of God. There's, it's not, he's got a timetable. But there's the friction. Because if we're unemployed and we're waiting for a job so that we can provide for our family, when you don't have a job and you're applying and nobody's calling you back, does that seem like wasted time? Yeah, because all of a sudden we start to see that bank account, maybe that little bit of savings that we had dwindle, and we start feeling the pressure of that. See, it's one thing to say, hey, let's learn to wait well. That's another thing to do that in life. And one of my favorite Christmas passages is found not in the Gospels, as we hear about a little baby and donkeys and angels and shepherds and all that, but it's found in Paul's writings in Galatians chapter 4. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. This verse, these verses are all about God's perfect timing. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So that they might receive adoption as sons. Do you see that word fullness, fullness of time? That was a shipping term. That, that Greek phrase there was a shipping term. And they, that's the term that they would use in the shipping industry when all the sailors, the captain, the cargo, everything was on board and they could go down the list. Okay, we have the captain. Okay, we have the sailors, the rowers. We have all the supplies of food and we have our cargo. We can now depart port and go from port A to port B because now we have the fullness of time. Everything is clicked off. That's where that word comes from in the Greek. Now, how do we apply that? Or how did Paul apply that to the Christmas story? He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. I'm a firm believer, and it's okay to disagree with the pastor, but I'm a firm believer that Christ did not come a second too early or a second too late. I believe that God is not sending Christ as a reaction to something that happened that caught God unaware. It's not plan B or plan C, but that it was plan A all along. And that at the perfection of time, not just in a general season of life, but in the perfection of time, it was not a second too early or a second too late. I firmly believe that. Not just because I want to believe that, but because I believe that's what the scripture tells us. That it tells us that in this word and in others that we're going to look at this morning, that God had orchestrated this before the foundation 
of the earth. Have you heard that phrase before? We're actually going to look at a couple of scriptures that uses that phrase, before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the earth, and see how God uses that in relationship to this fullness of time. Now, from a human point of view, did it seem like the perfect time for Mary? Let's just take Mary. If you're Mary, did it seem like the perfect time? Not at all. I mean, if anything, you would have thought, this is possibly the worst time. Have you ever had that conversation with yourself um, and really spiritually with God? God, this could not have come at a worse time. Well, we've all been there before. We have something in the calendar. We have plans. We have arrangements. We have everything. And we look at that and we're going, okay, this is when I need some smooth sailing. I just need some smooth sailing just for the next two days, two weeks, two months, whatever it is. And then something happens. And whether we say it out loud or we just kind of mumble it over breath or maybe it's just a heartbeat or a synapse in our mind, God, this could not have come at a worse time. And I don't know that Mary had that exact expression, but in many ways it could not, Christ could not have come at a worse time from a human perspective. Number one, she was having a baby and she wasn't fully married yet. I'm not going to go into all the details there of how um, marriages were arranged, but they had a long, what we called engagement, betrothal period, uh, because a lot of those were arranged marriages. They were arranged marriages from the time that the kids were young, like little babies. And a lot of times they would get betrothed, and it was a legal marriage at that point. They weren't fully married in that they had not consummated the marriage, but they were in what we would call engaged They were not living together yet, but they were considered together to the point that if you separated after the betrothal, this engagement period, you would have to get a certificate of divorce. That's how seriously they considered this. And even during that time, a lot of times they were not even together. They could have been in two different cities. Kind of a strange thing because culturally that's not how we do it, but that's how they did it. And here she finds out that she's with child even though she's never been with a man. Couldn't have come at a worse time. When we think about it from a human perspective. The second thing, she had to travel in the last weeks of pregnancy. Yesterday, uh, as we were doing all the, the things there at, uh, with the ministry yesterday at Beef O'Brady's, it was uh, good to see Allison Crawford. She's been there every year. But last year, she was like, Twelve and a half months pregnant, she said, you know, (laughs) and so she was waiting tables and doing all this. And if you've been there before, you know that there's a crowd of people. And so I just remember Allison last year kind of having to rearrange herself just to get around the people. And she said, this is quite easier this year that I'm not twelve and a half months pregnant. And uh, do you imagine that Mary could have said, "Okay, this is not a good time to travel. Okay, this is not really what I want to be doing, riding on the back of a colt or a donkey or whatever, traveling from one city to another city when I'm this pregnant. From a human perspective, this just didn't seem like the, it could have been even a worse time. We begin to see that she was going to deliver her baby without family support. Now, having been grandparents, oh my goodness. You know, they didn't care if I was there. But I guarantee you, both of my girls... If we would have said we're still eight hours away, if we said we're still three days away, I guarantee you they would have said we're not having this baby until you get here. 
because they wanted their mama. As far as we know, Mary didn't have her mama there. She traveling with her betrothed husband, going to a, a distant city, very pregnant, riding on the back of some animal, could not have been worse from all those perspectives. Going to a place that was crowded, they were taking the census to the point where there was not even a place for them to stay. Now, you're familiar with all those points of the Christmas story, perhaps, but when we put it in perspective, okay, how do we wait well? Mary probably would have changed from human vantage point a whole bunch of details that now we are endeared to with the Christmas story. She would have changed a lot of things saying this would have been a better plan. And yet today, as we read Luke chapter 2 and we get out that Christmas story, is that not the most endearing story that you've ever heard? Paul says, at the fullness of time. When everything that God had proposed in his sovereignty and waited for were checked off. Not a second too early. and Not a second too late. Christ came into this world. When we really begin to grasp that, that this was not a reaction from God. God's not watching life on earth going, well, I better get a hero in there really quickly or these people will perish. But what term does the Bible use? Before the foundation of the world. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Should be pretty close there if you were in Galatians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Listen to how Paul addresses this letter to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, when? Okay. I was just asked this morning about predestination and election and all that. I'm a firm believer. Why? Because it says so in the Bible. I don't understand election. I don't understand predestination. I don't know how far we are predetermined in life. There's a lot of mystery there. But when the Bible says that this was predetermined before the foundation of the world, I'm not going to argue with God just because my little brain can't capture all that understanding. But what is the term that he uses here? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God is working out his promises when? He's working out his... This is not rhetorical. Okay. God is working out his purposes for humanity when? Before the foundation. This is so important, guys. This isn't just for kind of this theological egghead stuff. How do you wait well? You know that there's this person of God who's made you personal promises and he's working out purposes in your life. I don't know that Mary could have seen anything lining up. If there was ever a person that could have said, this could not have come at a worse time, it's probably Mary. And yet God says, in the fullness of time, I'm bringing about something that I had scheduled when? Before the foundation of the world. This is the God we get to serve. 
This is the God we get to worship and adore. This is the beauty of the life that he's given us. Even when your life is in shambles, folks, you serve a God who says, I give you purpose before the foundation of the world. Is that not amazing? It's not just the one place that he said this. It has such deep application. Look how he said it in, in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. We call this eternity, some theologians call it eternity past. Because we, we, we before the creation of the world, we use that term. The, the Bible always describes it as before the foundation of the world or before the foundation of the earth. Look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own what? Purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? Amen? Is this not incredible, guys? For people who don't wait well, because we're worried and we have all the whys, why this, why now, why, that we have a God who says before the foundation of the world, I'd already purpose, I'd call you by name. Bobby Lincoln, I called you by name to be my son. This is the most incredible news that we could ever have in our lifetime, folks, that we get to serve this God, we get to follow this God. Now, I promise you, if I lose my job and I see the bank account starting going down and I don't have another job yet, I'm not going to wait well. Because my sinfulness is still there. And all of a sudden, my heavenly gaze is going to get very earthly because I'm going to see a wife and I'm going to see other responsibilities that I have. And I'm going to go, okay, God, you should have worked this out by now. This, God, this could not have happened at a worse time. And yet we have a God. If we truly believe, if we truly believe this, if we truly believe this, then we will wait well because our confidence is not in the situation. Our confidence is not in our ability to navigate this dangerous road, but in a God who has made promises to you and said, I will serve my purposes through you. Amen. This, this is the Christmas story, guys. This really is the Christmas story. My sweet Vicky, this is our hope. This is our hope. For Sherry and your whole family, this is our hope. This is, are we heartbroken? Yes, we lose people that we love. When we love greatly, we hurt greatly. But this is our hope, that God is always in perfection of his timing, working out his purposes in our life. Is Paul the only one that got this? No, look what Peter said, and then we'll move on. First Peter 1 Peter 1.20. verse 20. He that is Christ, I don't want to take this out of context. I wish we could cover the whole text there. It says, Christ was foreknown when? Before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of... Who's that you? That would be us. Do you see the intimacy of that? 
All the three things that we have talked about to help us to wait well, the person of God is in this verse. The promise of God is in this verse. And the purpose of God is in this verse. Folks, you read your Bible, you read the word of God, and you cannot come away with any other thought that we have a sovereign God who loves you intimately and personally and knows every detail of your life. And he knows when you were conceived. He knows the day that you're going to be born. And he knows the day that we will die. He knows all things. And he holds these things in his heart, in his head, in his mind. He he holds all this together in his majesty. And that's all you're going to have on some days. Because the reality is there's going to be so many times in life that we're going to go, this could not have come at a worse time. And God will not have fixed it just like he did not fix everything in Job's life. He just reminded him of his sovereignty. He eventually did, but not before Job already had a piece about it. There will be days, my dear friends, that your life will be turned so upside down that all you have is the person of God, the promises of God, and the purposes of God. And that's enough. That's enough. In the fullness of time, she brought forth a Savior to this world. At God's perfect, perfect time. Here's what we can be guaranteed to, that if God is waiting for something, there is purpose in that waiting. If he truly is sovereign over all things, and nothing, God's not reacting to anything. He's not waiting to see, okay, what's going to happen here and here? This whole thing about the United States and China or this and that and Russia and this. I better wait because I've got to come up with a game plan. No, he's never waiting on any to react to anything. He is sovereign over these things. And so we can take the purposes of God, even the waiting periods of our times, and say there is great purpose in this waiting. We don't have to like it. You don't have to, in one way, emotionally agree to it. But by faith, if you're going to be a person that accepts the word of God, you've got to go there at least spiritually and say, okay, God, this is who you are, and there's a purpose in your waiting. This morning, Bruce, I I don't know if you got to that in the life group as far as people going, okay, here's an event that happened in my life. At the time, it seemed like I could really say, This could not have happened at a worse time. And then 10, 15, 20 years, sometimes later, you're going, you know, I see what God was doing. Have you had that experience in your life? Some of it comes with gray hair, unfortunately, or no hair. You know, some of it comes, you know, I don't know. If you would have come up to the seventh grade version of Bobby, I would have said, you know, I waited 30 seconds. Why is this going to happen? If you would have come up to the 30-year-old version of Bobby, I would have said, you know, I've waited 30 minutes why hasn't this happened? If you would have come up to the 40-year-old version of Bobby, I've waited 30 days. But I pray, God, that the 57-year-old version of Bobby said, God, you are sovereign. And I can trust you because you've made me promises to carry out your purposes. I just hate that it took so long. But I also hate this. That as much as I affirm that in my belief this morning, in my faith, if tragedy hits my life tomorrow, I will feel the tension of trusting God 
And I hate that about myself. I bet that frustrates you too. That something that we can believe so dearly in our mind and heart could be so fragile as we lived out, live out this life. In the wisdom books in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. And it goes on and it goes on. If you're familiar with that passage, this long list of all these things. And God is basically saying, look, there's a time and a season for everything in life. And how does he end that? Well, we have to go down to verse 11 and we begin to see how he kind of culminates this talking about how there's a time for life and death and planting and harvesting and all these things in life. And look what he says in verse 11. He, that is God, has made everything what? Beautiful in its time. He who has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's the tension. Does our inability to fathom what God has done in eternal purposes make God's eternal purposes invalid? Bobby, say that again. <laughs> Does our inability, it just, this verse says, okay, but man, us, we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, this is hard for us to grasp and to see God's purposes all the time. Does your and my inability to grasp the purposes of God invalidate that there is a purpose that God is working out? No. Please remember that next time that you come into crisis and tragedy. God God is not unaware of your hurting. He is not unaware of how you feel like your life is being pulled apart. But you're not the center of the universe, guys. I don't say that in a rude way. I don't say that in a mean way. I'm just saying God is about his glory and he's going to work his glory. And sometimes if I can't grasp that, that's okay. He said it's okay. And in those times I have to come back and say, okay, but God, God, here's the promise you've made that you're going to make it beautiful in its time. And I'll trust you with that, God. For you are for me and you're not against me. So next time that I begin to say, God, this is not a good time. I need to go back to the Christmas story. I need to go go to to Galatians 4.4 and see in the fullness of time, when everything was perfectly ready, that God sent his own son to die for me. Over 300 promises in the Old Testament coming into fruition, coming into reality on that night in Bethlehem. If I had a chart to show that, can you imagine 300 promises that we would take from the Old Testament and all these verses? And we could put all these verses out here, 300, over 300 verses, and then we would tie them together and pinpoint them all the way down in Bethlehem that night when Christ was born and coming into fullness when Christ would die for us. And the Bible says that they, now these promises are what? They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We are the most blessed of people. Uh, my, my greatest fear this morning is that, that these great biblical truths can sometimes be abrasive 
to the tragedies that we're facing in our own life. And we do not, please hear my heart, we do not make light of you living your life right now saying, Pastor Biden, this could not be the worst time. We don't make light of the tragedies. We just make much of Christ. We don't belittle our troubles. We just make much of him who is sovereign over all things, guys. Because this is the word of God. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. This is how we wait well. This is how we wait in darkness. By knowing that the person of God has made promises to us to work out his purposes in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you. Father, this afternoon, as early as leaving church today, we can find ourselves in trials and troubles and tragedies that would make us proclaim, God, this is not a good time. God, there's, there, this could not be a worse time for this to happen in my life. And all that we've proclaimed this morning, all that we've seen in your word that we so desperately want to hold on to and make us the really breath and the fabric of our lives, Father, it will be challenged in this tension of spiritual truth and yet earthly life. Father, just take us back to Bethlehem. Take us back to a a plan that came in the fullness of time but was created before the foundation of the world. You don't do that to minimize our pain by making us just this small little speck on the history of man. But Father, you show us this in your word so that we can say, okay, if there's a God who had a plan before the foundation of the world and in the fullness of time, in the perfection of time, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, to come into this world and clothe himself in flesh, then this tragedy, this trial, this trouble that I'm facing... God's got this. And will you build up our faith, Father? We who are people who struggle, we believe, but we have unbelief. Father, just take us back to Bethlehem. Take us back to a little stable. Take us back to an infant child laid in a manger. And remind us that you are a God who keeps his promises to work out his purposes and along no matter how long it takes and how long we have to wait. We love you, Father. We praise you. And now we sing this song, Father, as an assurance of our faith, Father, as an affirmation of the truths that we've studied this morning, Father, to proclaim that you are sovereign and holy God. And and God, you've got this. So we just sing in that simplicity to you, Father, this morning as we pray this all in the hope that is Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Lord's Supper table is up here if you just desire to have that this morning, however you want to worship this morning.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.